Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's another edition of Terry's Talking, the Cleveland.com podcast with award-winning columnist Terry Pluto from the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com and me, David Campbell, your host. Terry, I saw a tweet today. Baker and Emily Mayfield have packed up their car and their dog, and they're on their way to Carolina. The move They've has moved begun. out of Progressive Field. They've moved on. <laughs> so we'll see. They're on their way, and uh, all signs are pointing towards September 11th in the opener against the Browns. So. And a guy just sent me a Baker Mayfield T-shirt. Nice. You Shake and bake. Next, you can get your Baker tattoo. Uh, uh... I don't don't do tattoos, but uh... <laughs> all right, let's get into the garden. Nice. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do with it, but it's you know I've got it. Yeah. All right, Might so be this... good to get it donated somewhere. Yeah, put it on eBay, make a few dollars, yeah. and yes. you can give it to charity. Yeah. Um, so we know Terry. This is probably the slowest sports week of the year. But mm-hmm. the All-Star game last night, we're taping this on a Wednesday afternoon. The All-Star game in Los Angeles last night had some really interesting Guardians moments. Uh, I guess preeminent, preeminently would be Emmanuel Classe's performance in the ninth inning. Boy, I, I was watching that last night, and I thought we were going to see an immaculate inning. Yeah. Nine, nine straight pitches and nine, nine strikes. Uh, he struck out the side. Uh, what did you think of last night? Well, first of all, that's a coming out party for Classe. I think we around here knew that uh, he was becoming something special. I doubt much of anyone else did, unless you're maybe follow Central Division. It reminds me a few years ago, remember, I believe Shane Bieber struck out the side in the All-Star game in Cleveland in 2019. And, I mean, Classe is something else because, David, he is a combination of throwing 100 miles an hour, of not being wild, and not allowing home runs and a lot of poise. We've seen him. Usually he doesn't. Uh, uh, remember in the past, they would have pitchers like Bob Wickman or Joe Borowski used to call it scare and a save. You know, he doesn't have too many of those. They're not quite all immaculate innings, but when he has had some problems or even come in with a runner on second base and that extra inning thing, uh, he's been able to pitch his way out of it. You know, so he may lose, concentration for a moment but then he seems to get it back that's pretty remarkable for a young reliever yeah and he's the kind of guy too who when he he comes into the game he's kind of got this attitude like they Mm -hmm. talk about offensive liming playing with nasty they call it and 
Class A seems like he's um, a reliever who, when he comes out, it's like he's got a little bit of nasty going. And I don't know that that's the kind of thing that intimidate major league hitters. But uh, I'll tell you what else I thought about Terry. It reminded me a little bit of the Randy Johnson uh, 1993 all-star game against John Crook. It wasn't that extreme, but it was kind of a moment where these guys had no chance of hitting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm looking, Class A is only 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's on this contract. I think he's tied up for like six more years. There's option years and everything else. And I know in spring training, I got a couple emails from people who said, boy, that uh, they certainly wrapped him up quickly. And that went against their usual policy of not giving long term deals to two closers, uh, whether it was uh, Perez in the old days, they wouldn't do that. And, you know, Wickman, they didn't do, or uh, Cody Allen. They just didn't believe in it. But this guy, I think they just thought was a whole cut above anything they've seen before. And like a lot of the uh, Latino players uh, who didn't get very big bonuses to begin with and came through the minors, they haven't had, quote, unquote, big money, you know, like others. So this is a chance to grab some money for them right away and also for the team to, you know, tie them up. So it worked, worked out well for both. But my goodness, what a not just what a performance, what a season this guy's had, what a early career he's had. I believe his ERA now in the big leagues is 1.5. That's something. And just to watch the, the, the velocity last night, it was like mm-hmm. 98, 99, 99, a hundred, a hundred. Yeah. I mean, and at the knees, the 27 Yankees, but yeah, and it was all down at the knees right. except for the one ball that he pitched was a little up and up in the strike zone. Mm-hmm. But and just, he's got man. that cutter. Uh, I remember when he was, first in spring training a couple years ago francona watched him throw a bullpen session came in and told us he's throwing 100 mile an hour bowling balls because it felt like they sometimes hitters talk about when you do make contact it feels like a heavy ball uh and that's what it is like cost say because if you look he just doesn't give up home runs all right terry and the other uh one of the other highlights was a cleveland player andres jimenez had a, he was 0 for 2, but he had a really nice uh, play to start a double play. There was a grounder up the middle. He snagged it and flipped the ball, what, behind his back mm-hmm. to start the double play, and, and they finished the double play. But that was uh, – you don't see that every day. Well, David, that's the old – since they bet on everything in life, why don't – what would have been the odds at the start of the season that you would say that Andres Jimenez would much less make the All-Star team Forget starting it after it came out, and I think he had 218, you know, last year. And to see that, and really he is – I started calling him a star at the end of uh, April because I just saw that how his development was. Yeah, he hit two exactly 218 last year, OPS 633. And now he was a little different. He came out of Venezuela, signed at the age of 16 with the Mets for $1.2 million. That's big money out of um, – uh, for a Latino player. Cause remember they don't have a draft. They're all signed as free agents in that. So he was always considered a, a top uh, prospect. When uh, I interviewed Chris Antonetti for his story about my story, rather about his two trades, uh, Kluber for class a, and then uh, Frank, I'm sorry. And uh, Francisco Lindor for Jimenez and, and uh, Ahmed Rosario and a couple of prospects uh, the, the trade started with Jimenez. He said he was already a top 100 prospect. Uh, we just, we knew he'd be good. He goes, I didn't know he was going to be an all-star after a year. 
but you could just see the the talent there, and especially defensively. And he hasn't played much second base at all until uh, starting last year and this year. And Francona makes the point that it's rare that you see a player who's adept at second or short. You see a lot of guys could play both of those spots, but it's a different skill set. And usually they're better at one or the other. And I do wonder if part of the Guardians thinking was, all right, let's second base is a lot, not a lot less, but it's a less demanding position, right? In terms of the throws you have to make. I wonder if that was part of it. Do you think there was anything to that of letting him kind of ease his way in a little bit? No, I think the uh, the thing there was they just want to play Rosario short. He can hit him out of the outfield. Yeah. And because they know deep in their hearts, they never gave him a fair chance in the outfield. They would for a couple of weeks in spring training and then throw him out there. No, if you want him to play the outfield, when they arrive on February 15th or whatever, guess what? Left field, it's yours. Right field, it's yours. You're going out there and we're just going to hit you ball after ball after ball. Don't worry about the infield. If we need you to do that, we can. Um, I would like to see them turn him into a, I've already missed for a while, the super utility guy, because I think he can learn. I'm, for example, I bet you could put a first base glove on him and he'd probably do pretty well. Now, you know, maybe Owen Miller belies that theory because, uh, but I just, uh, not that anybody could play first base. Now, this is, now when I was a second baseman at Benedictine, <laughs> which is true, uh, towards the end of my senior year, our first baseman got hurt or something. And suddenly I went over there to play and I hadn't played that since like Little League. And I loved it. And I, I'm not saying it was easy. But there's so much to be involved there. And I think as a middle infielder, you think, I could, I can do this. Yeah, there's some things about cutoffs, but you can learn this stuff. So I'm really uh, – uh, I'm interested to see how that plays out with those two of them. But so you have him for – I mean, you know, of course, and he turned around. Lindor didn't make the all-star team. And Lindor's having a good year. He is. Uh, he's, his power numbers are up. And – then you see you know, Colby Kluber's with a Tampa Bay. He's pitching okay, but you just never know with Corey when the arm's going to go. And he's never been the same since he won 20 games back in 2018. Yeah, and we don't want to forget, of course, Jose Ramirez yep. last night um, does what he does, which is go out and do work. And two, two hits, hits. run scored, and goes home and does it again the next day. So, Yeah, and you look at this and you say, all right, Maybe Jimenez is the guy they go after next to try to sign to a long-term contract. Jose and Jose are signed up for a long-term contract. The other thing that's nice about the season, we're not going into the offseason saying, well, they're going to have to trade this guy because he's coming up on free agency or whatever. I mean, I guess you could argue that uh, uh, Bieber has uh, only two and a half years left. You know, Maybe you, you look at that. But for the most part, there's no – urgency to make some kind of payroll move or anything of that sort. Uh, so I'm anxious to see what they do in the second half. Let's talk about the second half, Terry. Uh, the Guardians right now, 46 and 44, two games out of first place behind the Twins. I don't know that many people would have said they would have been in this position. There's some interesting storylines that I know you're going to be following here as the second half starts uh, this weekend. But what are you watching for, uh, I guess, early and late in the second half? I mean, I don't see them making any kind of big move. I mean, they might add somebody. Um, there's a catcher with Oakland named Murphy, I heard, that might be a guy they're looking at. Uh, it could hit a little bit there. But, see, I, I have right in front of me the uh, stats from Columbus. And Bo Naylor 
who was their first round pick of a few years ago. He's coming out like crazy. He's hitting 308 at Columbus uh, after he came out from double A. That's Josh's brother. And he can really catch. Uh, the nice thing about Bo that they'll, they look at too, he's got 20 strikeouts and 16 walks. So he's not a, you know, a big strikeout machine and he has a pretty good eye. So that's, uh, you know, that's why I think they're probably just going to ride it out with what they have behind the plate and hope maybe, you know, maybe Mailer and Hedges kind of combine to handle it next year uh, to, to care, take care of that. Um, I don't, I don't know. Be in, interested to see if somebody would come after one of their, you know, one of their other starters, somebody like Plezak or something. Would they trade him or not? Because they know they have uh, Gavin Williams and Espino. Boy, am I having a hard time. I didn't even know he's from. I didn't even know he's a prep school from George, from Statesboro, Georgia, and I couldn't say his name right. Espino, who's had some sort of knee problems uh, a little bit, and Logan T. Allen. They have a lot of starters coming, um, but I don't anticipate them making any kind of any kind of big moves. And our guy Will Brennan. International Player of the Week. He's hitting 333 at AAA outfielder. So I know he's not on the 40-man roster, but uh, I could find a way to probably get him on, and I bet any fan out there could if you look at it. Uh, now, you could start saying, well, they're playing Nolan Jones in the outfield, and they're playing Quan in the outfield. But, you know, I would like to see Brendan at some point this season. He just – I would like to have an embarrassment of riches of young outfitters because usually it's been like drier than when, when I'm out in Goodyear and I decide to go hiking in the desert. You know, like there's nothing green around other than these cactus with their needles. Well, I wonder, I mean, when someone's out there, someone else is not getting playing time. But the, the thing is the guardians are, they're going to have a pretty hectic schedule. They, another rain out to sure. end the first half. They're going to have some double headers. Mm-hmm. There might be opportunity where they, they can expand the roster for some of these double. And you don't have to play. Cl- you don't have to play straw every single day. He's a right-handed hitter. Brennan's a left-handed hitter. Brennan's not great in center field, but he could go out there. Or I think we've seen Stephen Kwan is a really good outfielder. You know, lost in the talk about the different things is Kwan does a great job in, in left field. And he, was a center fielder by trade. I mean, this kid, you look at it now, David, um, there's your leadoff guy. You know, there's a young outfitter. Okay, he doesn't hit for power, but he does all these other things. You know, he's a winning player. And my guess is as he goes along, he will hit for a little more, more doubles and that kind of stuff. Because he was, you know, you come up to the big leagues, you're just trying to five foot eight like he is. You're just trying to survive first. And remember, he only played half a year at AAA. So he's, it's been pretty remarkable. And he's in a sport where 85% of all players go to the minors. And as we're, we're talking, I'm just kind of taking a quick peek, peek right now to see exactly how many games Quan played in AAA. And the answer is 26. So he really vaulted up. Now he played, played big time college basketball. I'm big, big time college basketball, five foot eight. How about this? Big time college baseball at five foot eight. And believe me, while he's listed at, let's see if they list him. They list him at 5'9". I'm 5'9". I'm taller, even with no hair, So, because I stood next to him. So uh, Stephen played big-time college baseball, Oregon State, on a national NCAA title-winning team, leading off center field. So this guy has been, you know, you don't always have to play at those big programs, but it really helps. And that's why I – favor when they 
draft guys as they recently did, you know, college players. I know Steve Trout, Trout was a high school player. You know, I know Tristan McKenzie was a high school pitcher, but it always feels like these high school pitchers, you have to wait for them forever. And they almost all have to go through some sort of arm injury uh, before they get there because they're so young. Uh, so I, I like the college players and, um, and like, for example, Will Brennan played at the University of Virginia. And I'm looking here. He only has in the minors, he only has 920 uh, total minor league at bats and he's knocking on the big leagues door already. It really helps. Well, and you know, Terry, it's, it's how hard it is to project in the, in the mm-hmm. baseball draft, how good a, a player is going to be when, when they're 18 years old. There's a lot more uncertainty than with a, with a player coming out of college who's 21 or 22. You have a lot more data. And with high, high school, baseball is so up and down all over the country. You, it's hard to tell who, who, the, who a kid is pitching against or hitting against and which, what's this high school team over here versus that one. And you're right. When you get to college, there's a lot more data that they can go to. Yeah, they also use – And it takes some of the uncertainty out of it anyway, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, David, the other thing, now they have these wood bat, wood, wooden bat leagues, Cape Cod League the Northwoods League up in uh, Minnesota, that allows scouts to see those uh, college kids in, in a sort of a pro environment. And I'm also glad they they made some changes of the rules of the type of bats they use in uh, in college so that they're just not, frankly, almost lethal with the ball coming off of those things. They're, they're a little more like wooden bats. Um, but if you go in, like the, the, like the Guardians just had this draft, you're sitting there, and, you know, you're looking at a 21 or 22-year-old college kid. You're, as you said, an 18-year-old high school kid. Um, how do you compare them? And then you may have uh, uh, Puerto Rican players are now on the draft. So you're comparing to that. It will be very interesting if they ever open it up to the uh, players basically all over the world. I mean, how do you, where do you rate the 16-year-old out of Venezuela, you know, compared to the 21-year-old out of Arizona State? I I, I think it's, it's fascinating from that point of view. But do you notice, see, they cut down that draft to 20 rounds, used to be 40 rounds and everything else. They've cut down the number of farm teams. Um, they only have four where you, you basically it's kind of unlimited before now. You you can have some of these uh, basically spring training type thing, you know, the, the Goodyear Blues or whatever they're called with playing back there. Uh, it's It's a different situation, but – I am excited. When we, all right, let's go through the outfield, David. So you've got, okay, who's in left? Stephen Kwan. Who's in center? Miles Straw. Okay, who's in right? Well, that's to be determined, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> yeah, you got Nolan Jones and Oscar Gonzalez. Yep. And if we bring up Brennan, you throw him in the mix. So there you go. So there's five guys, all young, and you should be able to find an outfield out of that. And on top of that, I'm not sure how far I want to go with this kid. Will Benson was the first-round pick in 2016 out of high school. He's a good enough athlete to be able to play basketball at Duke. And if you look at his early career, it looked like this guy was going nowhere. He was a strikeout machine. I mean, you know, he had 209 in Arizona rookie ball. He bats 238 in the New York Penn League. He bats 180. L.A. County, you know, this is just slogging around 230. Finally, this past year at AAA, he's hitting 264 with an OPS of 928, 
16 homers, 41 RBIs. Here's what they like. He used to be just striking out all the time, 70 walks compared to 81 strikeouts. He's 16 of 18 in stolen bases. He's an outfielder. And, you know, while it feels like he's been there forever, he's 24. That goes into what we were talking about. So we'll throw him in there. So there's six guys that you – and you should be able to finally find an outfield out of that. And then you can market your T-shirts, Terry, where there's a will, there's a way, right? There, there it two, is. They've got two wills they can put out there. And it also shows, I mean, a year ago – let's go back and even look at it uh, – yeah, because 2020 there was no there was no minor league baseball. But even a year ago, he's hitting. He goes to Colum- he he had 221 at Akron. This was last year. He moves up to Columbus, and in 27 games he bats 161. He strikes out 42 times and 93 at bats. I remember looking at that, thinking this guy is just they just blew the number one pick. But this year he's starting to show something, and maybe. You know, one of the arguments, too, he's a taller guy. He's 6'5", 230, with a big swing, and it just may take time for uh, him to figure it out. But, hey, I, I'm I'm upbeat on this, and I think that's also why they're in no hurry to go out and just get a big bat for the outfield. They have options. They do. And uh, just like with the pitching staff, Terry, we've seen it. They, they draft a bunch of pitchers, bring them in, let them fight for spots in the rotation. It's kind of kind of the same thing. It's like Survivor. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Well, and that's that's um, Tampa Bay does stuff like that. You know, Oakland does, although Oakland is taking a real dive now. Uh, but the uh, it's just a different way of doing it. And other teams, now Baltimore finally is playing better after all those years of being dismal. Uh, Detroit can't seem to put it together. They've had all these high picks and everything else. Pittsburgh, oh, my goodness, say your rosary. You know, I mean, it's just been – awful for them uh, so i give the guardians a lot of credit and i'm hoping then you know maybe in the offseason they they do something i just don't think anything big is going to happen around the trading deadline all right good stuff terry um hey i want to make sure we leave room for this so i kind of moved it up into the early part of the podcast today but you've got a three-part column series running this week on the voice of the browns jim donovan and it started Tuesday. The second part was today, Wednesday. And then the third part is Thursday, tomorrow. And you and I were talking about this. I mean, Jim Donovan is someone who's been around for many years. This is going to be his 24th year doing the Browns. And we always think, oh, well, that's who, you know, they do the team and they're always going to be there. But we started we started talking about this. Like nobody has really told Jim Donovan's story. And I thought you and Jim had it looked, looked like a wonderful interview. And, and he really shared some some great background and um, I just wanted to spend some time talking about this three-part series on Jim Donovan you should definitely check it out well first of all he's been in the market 37 years he's been in the market since 85 and so long other than he's from Boston that's all I knew about his background that was it Uh, and so I was just I forgot why I was looking at Brown's announcers and longevity but I noticed Gib Shamley had the longest run of a play-by-play guy I mean Doug Deacon is you know, the Cal Ripken of, of, of color analysts. I forgot how many years he's done it. Well, no, I do know how many years he's done it. He goes back to uh, uh, 86, I believe. So he's been doing it since then. And that's, but Jim, Jim Donovan came 37 years ago in the market. He got the job uh, when the team came back in 99. And so I just went out and I noticed that, well, give Chamley that did it for 24 years. This is Donovan's 24th year, longest play-by-play. Might be worth going out to talk to him just to see. Well, we sat on his porch. He lives in a, a, a 
a suburb of south of Cleveland, 12 acres. They got a barn. They own two horses. They're boarding a third. Uh, and it really, I mean, it was like the, the, the rolling hills, the horses, the birds chirping, the sun, the trees. I mean, and actually, you think about it, it was so quiet and so different from Jim's life when he goes, whether it's to TV3 Studio or to the Browns. And, and his wife is the one who loves the horses, and that led to it. But Jimmy just sat on his front porch and began telling stories. And it, I realize now one story has turned into two. Next thing I know, it's turned into three. And it, it ran, the first part ran today, Wednesday, in the Plain D or on, on the print side. Part two, which will ran, will, is already online. That'll be in Friday's Plain Dealer. And part three to come, um, all three I think are, are good, but part three is powerful. That's Jim's long battle with uh, cancer, both of leukemia and myel, uh, mono, myeloma. Uh, so I think you'll find all three because I really just, I know Jim doesn't want to be just defined as somebody's had cancer. And I wanted the, the look at it to say so you'd get to walk away. You know this guy, you hear this guy, but who is he? Uh, he's been married since uh, 89. He met his wife, Cheryl. She was cutting hair at the old arcade downtown Cleveland. And Donovan's friend, Jim Hooley, was a TV guy, uh, would go to Cheryl to get his hair cut. Well, Jimmy met her, and he said within a year they were married. And then suddenly he's finding out about she really loves horses. <laughs> so that was a thing there. And their daughter, Megan, uh, she is in the sports information department at Akron University. Yeah, a few things that, as I've been reading this, Terry, there's some really great tidbits in there. I had no idea that Jim Donovan, when he was in college, his the, the person who came on the radio after he did was Howard Stern. Howard Stern, Which was yeah. a crazy coincidence, because Howard Stern was at yeah. BU at the same time. Yeah, Jimmy um, was doing Boston University hockey, which is a big deal. Then Howard Stern was their late night jock. You can imagine what that was like on the college station. And so he would bring Donovan on to uh, do Marv Albert and other imitations of broadcasters. And Lord knows what Howard was saying. And then the, the other thing that I didn't realize, well, among many, but his passion for play-by-play. And you wrote about this, how he used to bring a cassette recorder to the Boston Bruins games when his family had season tickets. Like you see Jim Donovan, he's doing the, more, the 7 a.m. morning show on Channel 3, and he's doing the anchoring the nightly newscast on channel three. And, and he's got all these things that, that he does, but his real passion, like from day one was play by play. And he always had his sights on doing play by play. And you, and, and I think that's probably why it worked out was because he really wanted that to be his calling. And he really wanted to follow that. Yeah. He, cause even though he did uh, like the, for NBC NFL games, the regional game uh, that this is in the, um, uh, Late, uh, late 80s and 90s after he went to uh, Channel 3, uh, he, he just didn't like doing the TV play-by-play like radio. He worked in St. Cloud, Minnesota for a couple of years. He worked five years in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, he did play-by-play for the team that's now the Akron Rubber Ducks. They were the Vermont Reds playing in Burlington. Uh, and he did St. Michael's College. He did all kinds of high school stuff. He did all these things of play-by-play. Is very similar when you sit down and, I, and you listen to Tom Hamilton tell his early stories in these small towns in Wisconsin, or Joe Tate, 
who not only used to do play-by-play, but as he said, I was the morning mayor in Terre Haute, Indiana, in Frankfurt, Indiana, somewhere in Illinois. He said it was a morning mayor in three different places. Uh, and they that's what makes, um, I think, Jim being so versatile is he didn't go to big markets. He went to smaller markets where you have to do everything, read the commercials, all that stuff. Um, but they found out uh, he did a little TV in Vermont and suddenly he's doing radio TV. He was so good on TV. That's how he ended up being spotted by an agent who then got him a job at Channel 3. And it took off from there. But in the back of his mind, he said, I want radio play-by-play. Uh, play play. And he would he loved Nev Chandler's work. Loved Nev as a person. Loved Chandler on the Browns. And he told me he was watching, you know, kind of Nev, Nev passed away in uh, 94. And he said, you know, it really, they gave the job to Casey Coleman. But he said, I just figured it wasn't going to happen. The team moved. And I think he kind of checked around a couple play-by-play play jobs and didn't get them. And then when the team came back, um, it was thrown a wide open competition. He was hired, but this, he, how about this? He took us so little for granted because the new ownership with Carmen policy now learned to kind of view him as a TV guy. And they wanted to hear some like real radio play by play, even though he had done so much, he went and he got a, uh, from NBC, he got a, a, a fresh Notre Dame game and he had them turn off the sound. He did the play by play. And then he submitted that to get the audition for the Browns. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he took Jim takes nothing for granted. All the preparation has seemed so natural. It's he rehearses all these things. And the remarkable thing too, is like a lot of these guys read stuff from the teleprompter. He doesn't. Yeah. And you have a great anecdote in there about uh, Andre not talking about how he was walking behind Jim one day, walking yeah. out of the facility and, and Jim was practicing a play by play call of a play as he was walking to his car. Uh, and, you know, the great ones, whether they're great athletes or great announcers, they make it look easy. Be- I mean, there's talent, but there is so much preparation and hard work that goes into that. And, and Jim is just a. And you've, yes, you've I think people will find example. it. You'll um, you'll get to know and appreciate him more. And the nice thing about uh, I mean, the, the three greatest broadcasters in my lifetime of the three sports are Joe Tate who you always think is from here, but actually is from Indiana and Monmouth, Illinois. That's, that's those are his roots. Then you have uh, Tom Hamilton is from Wisconsin, the Appleton area. And then you have Jimmy who's from Boston, by the way, who had to work real hard to get rid of his new England accent. He said early on too, to, you have to have that kind of Midwestern. I'll say one thing, a lot of announcers from the Midwest, cause that's the voice they want. Yep. I mean, they work for years to, to get to the Midwest accent because they find that's the most the one that works the best, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then there's the whole thing uh, in part three, Terry, about where you, you talk about his battle with cancer. But, you, you know, people from Cleveland who have maybe haven't been around the country, you're right. We are really lucky. We have some legends, mm-hmm. have had legends, and still have legends. And, and, and I will Donovan say this. I really think Tim Alcorn, who's t- who was a Joe Tate protege. Now, he's from Northeast Ohio. Um, I just think he's could be one that's going to also sort of join that group he is and tom hamilton by the way loves alcorn's work and one time i went to uh, lunch with hamilton and joe tate and the subject of broadcasters came out and let's just say not everybody got glowing reviews uh, from these two grizzled radio guys but when jim donovan came up i mean this was like 
They were putting him on the Cleveland Mount Rushmore broadcasters for his radio work. Yeah, rightfully so. All right, Terry, we're running a little long here. We're going to take a break. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about the Browns real quick. You had a column the other day about what it's like to be Kevin Stefanski these days and kind of how he's maybe handling all the, I don't know, what's the word? <laughs> the uncertainty yeah, uh, I guess. of the season. Yeah. Um, we'll talk about your faith column for this week, and we got a couple of good Hey Terry questions. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We're back on Terry's Talking, Terry Pluto and David Campbell. Terry, you had a column the other day kind of pondering what it's like to be Kevin Stefanski now and how he's handling the uncertainty of this season. And, and if we know anything about Kevin Stefanski, he's so detail-oriented. He likes things to be set. Uh, where do you think his head is at right now in terms of not knowing the status of his, of status of his starting quarterback and everything else going on? I guess he's probably driving, driving his staff crazy with putting up together two totally different game plans. <laughs> You know, one for Watson, one for Brissett. I mean, you do that to some extent when you have a backup quarterback. But, you know, this is such a unique situation where um, you have a pretty good feeling your supposedly franchise quarterback is going to be out for quite a while. Uh, even, you know, so that you have four games, six games, eight games, 12 games, season, you don't know. But you better be ready, and you better be ready to have Brissett prepared. And they are not the same style quarterback, you know, Brissett is not as athletic. Um, he's more of a game manager. Uh, whereas, uh, they're hoping, uh, Watson will be, you know, a creative franchise type guy. So he has to be set with all that. And I think also, you know, things did go sideways for him last year when there were problems with Baker and the receivers and some others, he was not able to get things back on track very well as a coach. And it can't all just be on Baker, or it can't just all be on Odell. Now, they, those two may have been a flashpoint, but there were some other things that he needs to do and really look at this year. And they you know, talked about the different team-building things, but, um, I mean, I guess you could say a coach has something to prove every year, but, you know, his resume as a head coach is so thin. You know, it's a really good year in 2020. And it's one of they were one of the biggest disappointments in the NFL last year in 21. So you find out who he is now, but he's got to deal with the Watson stuff. And um, I'm I'm just curious to see how he's going to handle it. Well, and you know, Terry, if you've been, you can be an NFL assistant for 30 years, but mm -hmm. be, being a head coach is a completely different deal. And all the stuff you're talking about about when there's blowups in the locker room, you've got to you've got to bring position groups together. And, and we heard after last season, Browns players were saying this team was not together. And that does reflect on the head coach. But I think Kevin Stefanski, he realizes being in this organization that he needs to change as much as the roster needs to change and the approaches need to change. And you've written about the, the kind of the reinvigorated approach for the passing game. So you think he's up to this challenge in terms of not just evolving the offense and evolving himself as a, as a coach, but also evolving in terms of bringing this team together and getting things where they need to be. I mean, I would bet on him. I mean, for, if he, for example, if he went on the open market as a coach, even with the, the two years there, plus his time at Minnesota, he'd be a strong candidate for a number of jobs. I would be interested in talking to him and hiring him, uh, even though he's coming off a rough year. So, you know, most of the time, it takes the players a couple of years to 
say a quarterback or somebody, and I'm not talking about a running back, say a quarterback or even a defensive cornerback, uh, those positions that where there's a lot on them, they, they may struggle as rookies and, and, or at least just be pretty good, but you don't really know how they are till their third or fourth year, how good they're going to be. And this is, so this is, uh, I think the same thing with, as you said, the head coaching thing is you're out of your little cubicle now and you're out of the film room and you're in front of the media and, Whereas when you're an assistant and uh, the receiver and the quarterback are mad with each other, uh, the, the coordinator may even try to help. But in the end, he takes it and drops them both in the head coach's office. And this is the guy that's got to uh, deal with that. It's not just game planning. It's not just video study. It's not just stuff on your laptop. You know, these are people. And so how are you going to handle them? And that's where they make a lot of their money is yeah. settling those uh, internal things. So, okay, Terry, your faith in you, Colin, this week. Uh, it's I know you want to get into sunsets on Lake Erie. And mm-hmm. this is a great time of year if you live in Northeast Ohio. If you can get anywhere near the lake, every night is like a treat. You get to see the sun go down to the west right over the lake. And what, what are you thinking in terms of sunsets on Lake Erie and, and where you think you'll be going with that? Well, even when I was younger and I would go to church kind of like as you just brush your teeth, it's something you ought to do so you don't stink. Uh, you know, that kind of, but not a lot into it. Uh, I could always see God in nature in that, but it's as powerful as anything when there's a sunset over whether it's the ocean or Lake Erie. And the reason I mentioned Lake Erie is because, I mean, I live in Akron. And so we decided to go back up towards the lake. We had, my wife and I had, Roberta and I hadn't been doing that the last few years. So we went west one time up to Huron. Took about an hour. It was beautiful. Nickel, Nickel Plate Beach was one. Then we said, let's go east. Never been to like Asheville Harbor or whatever. So we went up there. A couple of weeks later, same thing. You know, they're, they're all a little different. We're sort of finding sort of smaller beaches rather than, say, men or headlands or, or something. So I just ask people, well, what do you, do you do? You feel God's presence when you're on the shore, the sunsets, your favorite spots. So I'm in the middle of actually putting that column together right now. I got some great uh, ideas from uh, readers, and that often makes a really good faith column, too, is when people talk about it. And maybe you get some ideas somewhere else to go, or maybe you were like me where you just kind of lost track of the lake being that close. And I mean, we're really blessed. I mean, for example, even if you're in Columbus, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a ride to come up to Lake Erie, but like you could be in Akron or you could be, you know, any of these places, it's not that far. And then of course, a lot of us live within a half hour or 15 minutes of the lake. Yeah, and I, I know I don't go enough. I mean, it's like you, you think you said it's you think it's always there, and you never go mm-hmm. because it's always there. So yeah, I mean, one guy mentioned how he goes up to uh, somewhere in Bay Village. There's this this little roadside park. He sits there and he kind of puts on a couple of his hymns on and just sort of sits there and watches sunset. And also, there's something about how when the sun is going down, and the sky lights up brighter than it has at any point during the day. And then within about 10 minutes, it's dark. It's so powerful. And, you know, for all of mankind's, we could control this and make that or whatever. None of us can make the sun go up or the sun go down. So check that out this weekend. It's going to be on cleveland.com on Saturday morning and in the Plain Dealer on Sunday. And 
check Terry on Facebook if you would like to weigh in. Maybe he'll use your comment in the column. So give that a look. All right, time for some Hey Terry questions. we got two this week, Terry, that are good. We're going to get into this. First one, Jared Adkins from Paradise Valley, Arizona. He says, hey, Terry, if Deshaun Watson is suspended indefinitely in at least one year, do the Browns have any recourse to get some of the draft capital back that they gave up? I'm not familiar with any precedent where that has happened. However, we've learned more details of the Texans enabling his behavior with memberships to places where he got a lot of his massages and some weird non-disclosure agreements. Therefore, the Texans were less than forthcoming with details they clearly knew. While no one would feel sorry for the Browns losing all these picks for taking some risk, taking such a risk, the Texans seem like they're getting off pretty easy. Uh, you've written about this, Terry. You think that the NFL should go after the Texans and penalize yes. them in this way. So should the Browns be the beneficiary of no. any of that? No, the Browns took Watson on as is, knowing he had, I think at that point, 22 lawsuits pending against him. Uh, what, whatever the Texans did or didn't do, the, they knew they were not getting a pristine product as a quarterback here with no baggage. No, he had at least one U-Haul behind him, if not more. I'm just speaking the truth here. Fire Guy didn't even play yep. last year. Didn't even play because Houston didn't know what to do with him. So, nonetheless, Houston's conduct to me is unconscionable where they were renting out hotel suites for this guy to get massages and supplying him with non-disclosure agreements. Look, nobody does that. When you want – he's your player say, no, you're, you're doing it in our facility or maybe a lot – like, for example, uh, I think the Browns are associated with UH, you know, you know you, whatever medical facility you have it. You put it in a place that's – where really is supervised and you get the best people possible to do it. You don't say, oh, I'll give you a suite at the hotel. So I should the A, I think Houston should lose some picks, but B, it's just the NFL should take them away. New England and some of the others for breach of rules. The Browns don't get them back. The only way the Browns get out of anything from what I was told, and that would be they could possibly get out of the contract if Watson commits some more violations of this personal conduct stuff after he's come to Cleveland, not before. It's not retroactive. But those picks, that contract, they're all in on that. So they better hope that this works out for them because um, your salary cap, is, it doesn't feel it this year, but it starts to kick in in 23 with the big contract. And, and then um, and, and we'll see uh, what exactly you do in a draft because they don't have a draft uh, pick for uh, a first-round pick for two more years. 23 and 24, they're going to be missing one. So 25 will be the next time. So, all right, Terry, this one is from our friend, friend of the pod, Jack and Erie. He says, Terry, hey, Terry. He's Ahmed, on Lake Erie. He is, that's right. He says, hey, Terry, Ahmed Rosario is one of the legitimate hitters the Guardians have on this club. Mm-hmm. I realize he doesn't necessarily have a position, but make one. Well, he kind of has one, I guess. But the guy is 26, and all he does is hit. Why wouldn't they want him as a centerpiece along with Jose Ramirez as opposed to being a trade piece? I think the feeling was when the when they were in their um, real go super young mode that let's get Jimenez to shortstop his natural position and uh, somebody else and maybe uh, Rosario uh, could be moved. But I, he, Rosario in some ways it reminds me even a better version of Rajay Davis. Some of the analytics people don't like Rosario. He doesn't walk a lot. He has some power, but not a lot. The OPS isn't that high. 
But you watch this guy. He plays hard all the time. Twice they put him in the outfield. We talked about that earlier. With very little preparation, he just was willing to try it. Um, that's why I'm, I'm with Jack. I wanted to keep him, whether you play him again at short next year. where He's done a better job this year, by the way, than last year defensively at short. Or you make him to that super utility role because he is a legitimate hitter. And, by the way, he and Jose are very close. That's not the only reason. But I think they're close because they, they play the same way. You know, now Jose, because he's smaller and the helmet's flying all over the place. But both of those guys, I believe Rosario leads the American League in infield hits because he runs so hard. And he's not hurt. He plays all the time. I think the best thing that happened to him was he got out of New York. Because now he was a top 10 overall prospect in the minors. There was all this hype about him. And I, it, we even Lindor found out very few people are just immediately ready for New York. And so he, you know, he struggled some there. But here I just think he's just, he's just blossoming. And I, I agree. I, I want to see a role for him. I want him on this team. And um, – don't just give him away. If other teams, unless somebody wants to make a terrific trade for him, but if other teams don't like him, so what? You see him play every day. You know what he means to you. And, you know, when they talk about we want our guys to play the right way, well, he does play the right way. And he's, um, yeah, he's 26 all year. So, and I think he's got two more years until he's a free agent. So, um, uh, you know, I'm with him. Uh, uh, with him for that. So yeah, he, he's a, he won't be a free agent until after the 23 season. All right, Jack, there you go. You and Terry are on the same page there. Thanks for the question. And uh, yeah, anybody send in a question to us. We want to get it on the podcast. We want you to be part of it. You can send questions with Hey Terry in the subject line and just email them to sports at cleveland.com and we'll try and get it onto the next podcast. So be sure to check that out. Uh, all right, Terry, I think that's about all we got this week. Um, anything else you want to bring up? Anything no, else that'll do it. All right. Hey, be sure to check out Terry's Jim Donovan columns. They're, they're definitely worth your time. Uh, so much rich information there on Jim. And, and boy, part three, just um, it really it really hit me hard today when I read it. So, And real quick, Terry, I, today we were in the office, and I just wanted to give a quick tip of the hat to Jamie Turner, yeah. who is our night sports manager. Jamie, you might not know how things work at cleveland.com. Jamie works pretty much five nights a week, and he – makes us all look good catching mistakes um, moving stories in places where people can find them and jamie's been in journalism for 46 years 23 of them at the plain dealer in cleveland.com as a copy editor and then as night sports manager and he's retiring so we had a little thing at work today and uh, just wanted to give jamie best wishes for a wonderful retirement and um, we're gonna miss you buddy and thanks for everything you did so terry um i know you were not there today it was really nice, nice yeah it is and i did that copy editing job long long time ago he was mentioning working in places like natchez mississippi and uh, some other small markets i did uh, greensboro north carolina savannah georgia and i find that uh, first of all i make enough mistakes in my own copy and i wasn't very good about straightening out other people's stories either so it takes a unique skill set and he certainly has it yeah we're gonna miss him and uh, have a great retirement jamie i uh, hope, hope you enjoy every minute of it so all right, that's going to do it for us. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time on Terry's Talk.